Hey everyone, it's Gerald. Thanks so much for joining us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We're still trying to figure out our best of pop culture for 2023, but as we are still compiling the list for each and every one of us, Belinda, TJ, Josh, and myself, thought I'd bring you some of the best conversations that we had in 2023 with Josh Peterson, Jeff Sloboda, TJ Johnson, and Jamie Sweet. We're talking Xbox, we're talking Star Wars, we're talking Baldur's Gate 3 before it became the talk of the video game world, and we're talking HBO Max becoming Max. So here's some great conversations, just a taste of which you want to check out the full interviews. They're available now in the archives right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. We're back with the program. It's Gerald Glasser. Come right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thanks so much for watching us. I had a great conversation with TJ Johnson on what's going on with Xbox, but I cannot have an extended conversation on what's going on with Xbox, the future, and basically everything that's going on right now with all their struggles without the best person to go ahead and talk about everything going on with, of course, Xbox. A man who's here, who's been part of this show for, oh, what? my gosh, I was going to say six years. It's seven years almost going on now. My gosh. Yep. He returns to us indeed for now. He's still on a hiatus. He's still on a baby hiatus, but I'm going to go. I had to pull him away to talk Xbox with all this news going on. Good man indeed. It is, of course, my good friend, Josh the Great himself, Josh Peterson, and my friend. Great to have you back, even if only in a limited fashion to talk Xbox. I'm getting all teary in the sky. <laughs> you got to entice the viewers back. You know, you got to tease my return a little bit. And then after a certain amount of time passes, then come back so they know that they have to keep listening to get more of this lovely honey voice of mine. Um, Absolutely. The sexy radio voice is back. Yeah. Hey, also, like, if Phil Spencer is calling you during the show, like I know that was him on the phone just now, you can you yes. can answer it. It's fine. I mean, I'm no, no, no. Absolutely, you're much more important right now than Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer is persona non grata when it comes to Xbox fans until he hopefully redeems himself on the Xbox showcase coming up in June. But he is part of the issue right now because Xbox has had probably as I don't know in the history of Xbox, Xbox has had some highs and lows, but. In the past 10 days, I think this is about as bad as Xbox's luck has, and or at, well, some of it's because of their own doing, but this is about as bad for Xbox as has gotten in the past 10 days. Yeah, so when I first saw those comments that he made, I don't, like, I know it was weird. I couldn't tell if he was, like, conceding the console race or if he's just saying, like, hey, yeah, you know what the people in the media are saying is true. Like, I'm conceding to that that point but because you know redfall it was a broken game it was a misstep in uh you know what could have been a big opportunity for xbox because that was supposed to be like their what do you call it, like their flagship 2023 game and uh it came out and it was busted up and i know he's saying like hey yeah we could have done a better job of putting resources into this that we you know we didn't and or we could have like kept a better eye on what they were creating um but Apparently, they had been, uh, it was Arcane, right, that made that? Yes, Arcane out of Texas. Yeah, so they had been working on that game since before Xbox purchased them. So, um, Should have been easier, considering they only needed now to do it, put it on two platforms, on PC and Xbox. Right, but there was, I mean, I guess, like, not to make excuses for Xbox, but there wasn't, like, that level of quality control from its inception, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess yeah. like it maybe it was hard to keep track of what they were doing in that aspect, but you know they should have had people test the game and and you know just check it out, have have not critics, what do you call them, like game testers or whatever, come out and play this game before putting it out. But I think Microsoft got to the point where they were so desperate to put really anything out that this is this was you know the byproduct of that. And then, like you said, with his comments on kind of funny that he, you know, it, depending on the way you want to interpret it, it seemed to me like a concession, which, you know, as both gaming fans, Xbox fans, but you as probably our biggest Xbox fan, although TJ does give you a run for your money on that one, 
And I've always said Xbox has provided some of the best values for consumers, uh, you know, in gaming for the past 10 years. Yeah. Some of its options for both the Xbox One and now the Xbox Series and with the Game Pass. I think that I am very disheartened and vis- very discouraged by what he has to say in regards to that. Just giving up the the race, you know, that's the way I interpret it. He's he's conceding on that level. I mean, he's saying, "Oh yeah, I want Xbox Game Pass on every single form uh, of ec- electronics that's out there," but I'm yeah. conceding the the console race, which to me is is just words I would never say out of my mouth if I was actually in his position. Yeah, I don't think that he really planned what he was going to say there. I think it kind of just came out of his mouth. You know, he's probably bummed because that was literally like on the heels of Redfall coming out. I think it was like two two or three days later. Yes. Um, so I don't I don't think there was a lot of like rehearsal, like how am I gonna handle this? We and not to mention a decision on Activision as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's that was two big hits, and they still don't know what's going on with that. Um, you know, with them fighting that, but you know, also not to make it again, not to make excuses, but like, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you're on a show, like kind of funny because they are like the world's biggest, like PlayStation fanboys on that network. So it's, it's hard, you know, you want to like, you don't want to sit, like sit there and like defend, not defend, but like sit there and like, you know, complain about, Oh, Hey, you're wrong. You know, stuff like that. So I think he was, he was very humble. He, Phil Spence was very humble, very truthful. And, um, you know, I think that with uh, Starfield coming out and with the holidays, I think there's still an opportunity to turn the ship around. But uh, that being said, I actually have bought more places. I've purchased one Xbox game this entire year. You know, like I've played a couple things on Games Pass. Like I played, sat down, spent some, spent some time with like Wo Long Fallen Dynasty and um, uh, Atomic Heart. But like, I have mostly just been playing my PlayStation. Like, yeah, Xbox doesn't hasn't really had anything that's made me want to sit down and devote any time to it this past year. And that may be part of the problem, why they've get, gotten themselves in the position that they're in. And, of course, you know, you could always say the pandemic, but that excuse is now, uh, you know, it's, it's three years in the making. I mean, you could only use that for so long this is something that that xbox has been planning as far as the acquisitions of the studios and everything else there as far as the games that they should have had lined up well beforehand sony and nintendo have not had as much of a problem trying to release any type of content whereas xbox has been smaller releases and and what they're doing as far as on a large scale with redfall has fallen miserably their only hits have really come on a much smaller scale yeah yeah so i i look at it as like because i'm i'm a teacher so i'm gonna put this into like teaching perspective like you have there's a difference between you know teaching and managing one kid versus teaching and managing like 30 so i imagine that xbox is a little bit over again not making excuses because like putting out a game like redfall seemed a little unacceptable but they're it's they're probably having a hard time keeping track of like who is doing what and how like how you know looking forward how are they going to manage, like, how are they going to know, like, who's going to present them with a similar problem? You know, we have all these games slated to come out, but who knows how many of these games have been in production for how many years before the acquisition of these companies. So it's very likely that this could happen again two, you know, two or three times before something comes out that people are actually like, yes, this is amazing. And that's going to be a problem if Starfield, which is supposed to be your big release upon all big releases, I'm expecting a force to probably come out before the end of the year as well. But really, yeah. when it comes down to it, Starfield has much more pressure on it than it ever did before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that this, sadly, Starfield could be what breaks Xbox if it is not doesn't deliver the experience that everybody hopes it's going to deliver. Starfield could very well, um, you know, like Spencer said, end up shifting that that console war like for good. Maybe you know we don't we don't know. You know, it's just it's an unfortunate position that they find themselves in. And there's you know, with the exception of Forza, and uh, there's not really anything else that they have announced coming out being uh, Xbox exclusive. Well, by the time you get back as the regular sit-in, sit-in host of what we do here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, we will have uh, the June 
showcase and Starfield presentation, basically the Xbox showcase showcasing what's coming up for Xbox. And then, of course, after that, immediately will be the Starfield presentation in and of itself, which I think is actually good because it just shows how much confidence they have in it, which is exactly what they need right now because they're really in a, in a hurtful way right now. I think that uh, when it comes down to it, that's what I'm looking forward to. But before we really get into that, before we get, really get into what you would be looking for, what you would be doing it to get Xbox uh, Xbox back on the right on the right track, let me hear your thoughts though on this, my friend. When it comes down to it, I asked TJ Johnson when we were talking about this at like I don't know, I think about two o'clock in the morning, some one time a couple of weeks ago before we had our conversation, <laughs> you know, when this all went down, or actually it was a week ago, whatnot, and we had and. One of the things I said was, was it about time for Phil Spencer to turn in his Xbox badge? Is it about, is it the time, you know, because he has been in charge of Xbox now for closing on 10 years since the debacle of Don Matrick and his famous words that he said that got him in trouble and ultimately ousted. Xbox has not learned from history. History has repeated itself. We're now in a situation where mistakes and mistakes and mistakes and bad releases and delayed launches and then Xbox's Halo presentation has just not been what it needs to be. Halo is no longer that je ne sais quoi, that, that thing that, that holds the Xbox together as it once was. And then you have the words that were said by, by Phil Spencer. Is it time to make a change at the top of Xbox? You know, that's hard to say because Phil Spencer is he genuinely cares about the Xbox community and the fans. And I and agree with you on that, but that still shouldn't excuse it. No, it doesn't excuse it. It's hard to know because you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know like how are, were Spencer's hands tied in this because he was very open, you know, with his comments, he was very open and he seemed very disappointed in earnest. So like, we don't know if his hands were tied due to uh, you know Microsoft's board or wh whatever is going on behind the curtains at Microsoft that we don't know about. And it's, it's, uh, I like Spencer a lot and yeah, maybe it's time for him to go, but like, I still think that he's meant or not meant, but like he still has the ability to do great things at Xbox. He just needs to, I guess, maybe have the freedom to do it. But then again, who would be restricting restricting him because Microsoft, I mean, when you're ready to spend 60 some odd billion dollars for Activision and you've made all the acquisitions that you can as far as buying studios on the behest and the request of Phil Spencer, what is being restricted? But so think about with all the money being spent on these things, and I'm playing I'm, devil's advocate. Just no, to no, I that. totally realize that. But with all the money being spent on these these acquisitions, uh, who's to say that like Microsoft's not pressuring them to be like, Hey, we need to see some returns on these investments because you know, we have our quarterly earnings coming up or whatever, and you, you need to put something out. So it's, it's possible that he's got, again, not excusing him, not excusing them, but he's probably got a lot of pressure on his shoulders. So it, it's a job much like being the president of the United States. Like I don't think anybody right now would want it and like do well at it. But Spencer, he's hung in there you know like he shows like i said before he like shows a genuine interest in the fans and the community i just it th that's a tough that's a really tough like question you know because like i don't know who else could get in there and do it better than him the, the thing right now is okay this was a let's say let's use a sports analogy because i i do host a couple sports shows on the side and i wanted to ask you this you know if it was someone who's not producing for you after a uh you know an up and down road with Xbox. It's been an up and down road this past decade with him uh, in the, in the helm. You know, I understand with the pandemic, but all three of these companies, Nintendo and Sony have also had the same issues during the pandemic. And yet they have found opportunities to go ahead and eventually thrive, or I shouldn't say thrive, but at least do well enough to get by and obviously still sell millions of units of their consoles. In the case of, uh, PlayStation, they came out last last year with God of War and, and then, of course, Horizon as well. And then you had with Nintendo, you had everybody still clamoring for Nintendo Switches to the point where they don't even have it on the radar for a new console till at least tw late 2024 at the earliest. 
you see Zelda Tears of the Kingdom come out this past weekend and everybody's loving it. And it's already, you know, pretty much the de facto 2023 game of the year. So the thing is, while they're building upon successes and overcoming the delays and the things that were caused by the pandemic, Xbox coming out of it seems to be very ill-equipped and poorly prepared. Yeah, well, I look at it like this. When you're when you're managing less people, like you're able to put better things out. You know, like look at Sony and Nintendo, like they focus on you know one or two projects at a time whereas like Microsoft, I think Microsoft kind of shot themselves in the foot by starting this like acquisition battle that they did because now they have they have so many fires burning all at once and they're not able to you know give those focused gaming experiences that nintendo and sony are able to give because they're having to manage so much all at once you're listening to the pop culture cosmos for the latest news and information analysis and opinions on the los angeles lakers and the nba check out the lakers fast break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming back at you here with Pop Culture Cosmos. Appreciate so much you watching and listening, everyone. Thanks so much. It is truly appreciated. If you can go ahead and give us a shout out anytime you can on social media, follow us at Pop Culture Cosmos. Plus, also, as well, if you can, as well, like us, follow us, and subscribe wherever you get us at facebook or twitch or twitter or obviously the fabulous youtube as well go ahead and follow us today at pop culture cosmos i had a friend who's been on this show regularly stop by and tell me and ask hey gerald what about star wars with all this hubbub going on this summer in regards to marvel and dc and all that good stuff what about Star Wars as we head into Ahsoka, which has garnered a lot of interest because of what happened in The Mandalorian, which has been all over the map. Seasons 2, Triumph and Brilliance uh, gave way to the confusion for many for Season 3 of The Mandalorian. And here today to talk about where we stand with the Star Wars universe uh, I don't even want to go into what they're planning as far as all the changes because Disney recently made some changes to the Star Wars uh, movie slate. And that's another story altogether. Good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out today at the MCU's Bleeding Edge. You know he's got his hands full with Secret Invasion, of course, and so much more. It is the man of true knowledge, Jeff Sloboda. And Jeff, great to have you back, my friend. Just uh, Star Warsing away right here on this weekend, Father's Day. I know you know what I, I I don't own a Star Wars hat, and I, I I seriously pulled off a major fashion taboo here, ladies. Um, by look at how un, uncoordinated my outfit is. I, I got a Star Wars shirt on, no Star Wars hat. The, okay, Disney will not mind at all. Oh, because it wait. all goes to Disney. I was about to say uh, with, for with, for Disney, I'm all good. Uh, everything's yeah. everything's gravy, right? Um, yeah, but no, yes. uh, no. Uh, honestly, let's be honest here, Gerald. Um, I think that we've both known for a minute now, and we just haven't discussed it and whatnot, or maybe personally, privately, uh, that the Star Wars has been putting out better Disney Plus series than Marvel has for a, for a minute. Um, yeah, for the most part. Um, I will say over the past couple of years, let's go over the past couple of years with what's come out. Let's just do, no, not go include, too far. No, Boba Fett not included. Yeah, okay, because, yeah, I don't want to go into the Book of Slobo Fett because that's a running joke here on the show because the Book of Slobo Fett, and yes, Boba Fett, has totally ruined my ideal plans and ideal dreams of what could be for Boba Fett because I know a lot of people like myself were thinking that Boba Fett was the coolest thing outside of Han Solo. And unfortunately, Disney and, and Disney Plus and Star Wars have found a way to lessen the mystique of Boba Fett with his series. And uh, yeah, you know, if you mentioned the first 10 minutes, they solved the riddle of how do you get out of the, the Sarlacc pit? And uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, just, yeah. Let's just let's just go ahead and talk about some other things. Like Kenobi came out last year, it was okay for what it was. Although, again, as I told Melinda Barkhouse Ross on her show many times, it's 
you know, the, the battles between uh, Kenobi and Vader were, eh? you know, you're just like, okay, I'm going to leave you for dead and just walk away and think it's okay. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, those outside of that, the story building was okay, and I enjoyed it for what it was. But the Star Wars series, as you know, Man of True Knowledge, really hit a high with Star Wars Andor. Mm. as being one of the best shows of 2022. I've already said it on this show several times, and they're the best of pop culture for this past year. It was there. Outside of a couple filler episodes, it was 10 episodes of 12 of absolute fantastical goodness. Andy Serkis was incredible in that role. Stellan Skarsgård was truly awesome in his role indeed. So everything was going well for, for Andor, absolutely, as I can see the poster on your back. And then we get into The Mandalorian Season 3, which I know a lot of people were kind of upset because it focused more on the Mandalorian side of things and the lore. And, you know, people asked for years, I want to know more about the Mandalorians. I want to know about the lore. So they got a whole ton of it. And then when they get a whole ton of it, they don't like it as much. So... Your thoughts, my friend, on where we stand going into Star Wars Ahsoka later this year? Well, um, first of all, I want to thank Gerald. I really do want to thank Gerald heavily because uh, he's the only other person I know of in content creation that's pushed what he like he just said that's pushed other people like you know straight up. And this person I know you've done it in a personal life too, Gerald. You told friends and whatnot. Hey, watch Andor. I know you, maybe you gave up on it after like the first couple episodes, but go back, watch it, finish it. It's good, right? Like, and I appreciate that. I do, right? It's and, really yeah. good. It, it's it is. it's truly, truly some of the best Star Wars. You know, a lot for a lot of people since Rogue One. I liked Rogue One. I didn't love Rogue One. I do love Andor, and I really think it's some of the best Star Wars uh, in the past uh, thirty years. That's so. a Rogue One poster right up there in the corner. So that is my new Star Wars wall that I am building. There you go. Absolutely. So you're all Star Warsing out. Uh, I do want to ask you. But, you, you know, your thoughts on what's going on with the Star Wars universe, it's been a mixed bag, my friend. Like everything with Disney lately, it's been a mixed bag. The Mandal- Okay, so from what I understand right now, of course, um, I'm not a massive Star Wars fan. Gerald knows that. I- I'm happy. I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I always like to admit this stuff and put it out there. I don't know all the lore. I rely on good guests and good other creators that come on my shows to supplement me and support me when I moderate these shows, right? When I did my Mandalorian three-part breakdown recap of the season, I had a whole panel full of people that know the lore, have read the books, right? Read the comics, right? To support me. Now, I still do my research and whatnot. And I'm telling you right now, Gerald, ever since Andor and Mandalorian season three, I am all in. Like, we're already dedicated. We've already scheduled ahead. We're doing Ashoka. Ahsoka. We're doing Skeleton Crew. I'm even going to do a culty, right? The hell with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to review every single thing that they throw at us at this point. If we can fit it in, we're going to do it. Um, because I'm, I'm even ordering the books right now. I'm reading the novels. I want to know about Admiral Thrawn since that's where things are heading, right? Since that's where this Mandiverse is going. And honestly, I got to tell you right now, uh, from what I understand, from people telling me in the Star Wars fandom, it's a 50-50 split, basically, on how they felt about season three. They, it was, it's about 50-50 as far as people just didn't like it or they, they, they liked it. Now, you, I love the Mandalorian stuff. I love Mandalore. I love Bo-Katan. I, I enjoyed season two immensely. It was one of my best. The year it came out, 2021. I don't think it followed up as strong uh, because of, again, and it's not because of just the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda and all that. It's just, it's just the fact that it just, you know, it was, a, it had to tell the story, but the way it did was kind of scattershot at times. And I really think that it was not for the best. I really think that it made the series okay for this season instead of something that could really truly been special leaning off of what is a great season two. I thought it was entertaining at the very least. There were, I mean, you know, I, I get, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. No. Episode three was kind of out there. You know what I'm saying? It really was. It was a really, really, uh, it was really a filler. It, it was, didn't even really make sense unless they're going to tie in that, that Dr. Perishing later on. But then again, he's mind wiped. So what use is he to anybody at this point? Right, but either way, seeing the Shadow Council, I loved that. That was huge for me. I really did. And I'm sorry, but like, my biggest complaint with the season, very, very simply, was this: the they 
episode, the, this, this, I believe it was the seventh episode, was outstanding. They mm-hmm. crammed so much into it. They did too much. They, they should have left some of it for the finale because the finale, uh, it just fell flat for me. It really did. It was a drop-off. And you know how it is, Gerald, with these series. If you drop off from episode six into seven as your finale, it's never good. You know? And yeah. um, But then again, I'm biased, folks. I love Katie Sackhoff. Always will. Always have, always will. Uh, Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite shows from the you know late 90s, early 2000s. And her enthusiasm and love for Star Wars and appreciation and like, you know, and appreciation, appreciation she has to be able to play the role of Bo-Katan. I, I care about those things. Mm-hmm. And she vocally expresses to people that she feels that she's thankful mm-hmm. to be able to be a, a part of, of the Star Wars universe. I appreciate those things. I do. She's humbled about, you know, she, by she her is. role. Yes. She and is. I think it's great. You know, it's very, it's very, she's a very real person. So I ask you, my friend, why do you think it didn't resonate with everyone? Because again, there was so much anticipation for it. A lot of people really, really wanted to get the best out of Mandalore. In fact, for many people, he was the highlight of his appearances on the Book of Boba Fett. So I ask you, why did season three resonate better with a, a larger audience? You mean less? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't it resonate with larger? larger? Yeah. There's so much mixed opinions on it. I think it's because I think it's because of multiple reasons. But I think one of the fundamental ones is the fact that they did go off the path of the first two seasons. They broke from that mold right from jump. They did. In the first episode, you kind of you you got a feeling you were going to get your same old Mando. Right. You did. Right. You know, right off the bat, you get that huge freaking gator dinosaur monster. Right. You know, and all that. That was awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was this Mando and Grogu jumping from planet to planet. Everything's just quick, quick, quick. What you're used to with this, with this, with that series. Then all of a sudden, they just went into a totally different departure with things where they did heavily go deeply into the Mandalorian more, right? The history as best they could, right? Um, and I believe that they overdid it with Grogu. Um, you've heard we talk. We you, we don't need to get into that. Everyone, I think everyone out there knows Kathleen Kennedy's influence heavily on the series and that, with that in that direction. There are people who don't. I don't like Grogu that much. I don't personally. He does not do much for me. Um, I'm wearing a Grogu shirt and a Grogu hat, so I have to disagree slightly with. I've that. got a Gro- I've got the Grogu. My, you can't see it. My Grogu poster with Grogu Amando cuddling in the first episode. That I have that poster right there. Okay. Well, I actually I, have adult Yoda. I have adult Yoda and baby Yoda. So I, I like Grogu. Grogu was good in season three. He he's evolved. His character evolved. But it did. He did different stuff and whatnot. He's growing up. And um, honestly, um, I think overall, I think that it's uh, people just really have their expectations these days of, of some of this TV stuff, especially the fandom stuff. It's just way too high. Well, they, that's, that's, I mean, the bar has been set too high, but then again, that's that's the problem with the Star Wars franchise itself because, you know, everybody had so much of an affection or love leading into Return of the Jedi and how it ended up. And then all of a sudden, George Lucas, you know, a decade later, well, not a decade later, but, you know, almost a decade later, you know, says, oh, we're not done yet. Let's go back in time. Let's go to the prequels. And you know how, even though they've made a ton of cash, you know how much beloved or not beloved that they are. And then, you know, Disney, they buy the property and they go into it and to say, okay, we're going to bring back Star Wars. And the initial interest, $2 billion for The Force Awakens. And everybody thought, okay, this is a Star Wars-like movie. We can hang with it. And then the last Jedi goes off the deep end and then we get the, and then we get, uh, you know, the last Skywalker, which was abysmal. And then, you know, we get rogue one people mostly like that. Uh, I thought it was so good. I thought it was good. Not great, but it was good solo, which if you take the first 15 minutes out is actually a decent movie, but it bombed at the box office. So again, you're getting all these residual returns for the star Wars name. Because people still have those aspirations and and uh, belief on what Star Wars should be, the Star Wars fandom I, I've noticed is fit more even more fickle than the MCU, and I think it's a time it's a timing thing. Mm-hmm. They're more fickle than the MCU fans are. 
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? What is Planet Cool Stuff? It's your ultimate destination for insightful exploration from the realm of pop culture. Delve into the world of movies, video games, toys, cartoons, and visit with one-of-a-kind creators, discover incredible places, and see historical artifacts. Whether it's a toy room tour or exploring the best of pop culture cinema, Planet Cool Stuff has got you covered. Planet Cool Stuff, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. Thanks so much for joining us again, for watching and listening. Truly appreciate it. Make sure you like and subscribe everything we do here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is Baldur's Gate 3. It is coming out this weekend for PlayStation 5 and for PC. We'll talk about why it's not coming out yet for Xbox. That's coming up here right now. A man who loves his Baldur's Gate, a role-playing games phenomenon himself. He's a good man indeed. you got to go ahead and check him out today at lakerholics.com also as well every weekend he hosts the lakerholics spotlight it is jamie sweet jamie great to have you here my friend you wanted this time to talk some baldur's gate baldur's gate 3 again is a game that's coming out this weekend it's a, a basically one of the oldest most uh i guess one of the most beloved Video game RPGs dating back to the days of PC in the 90s, whatnot, from my memory. Tell us your love about Baldur's Gate and why Baldur's Gate 3 could be one of the biggest under-the-radar hits of 2023. I don't even know if it's going to go under the radar, to be honest. So uh, it, but let's start at the beginning. Like you said, it's, it, it goes all the way back to the turn of the century mm -hmm. uh, with Baldur's Gate 1. If you ever played Baldur's Gate 1 and you... You, you'll know, and if you, well, let's start with this. Let's be honest. It started with my love for just Dungeons and Dragons in general. And I know you share Dungeons and Dragons love as well. And that's what Baldur's Gate does. It emulates everything from the world of Dungeons and Dragons. It takes that rule set, puts it into a video game with a, with a pretty complex storyline that evolves based on your choices. And you progress through the game and each choice takes you on a different path so that the game actually has quite a high degree of replayability, not just on the moral or, you know, social choices you make, but even just like what character you play. Like any D&D &D lover will tell you, like half the fun of D&D &D is coming up with an idea for your character and then letting that loose in this imaginary world and, you know, having fun. Uh and that's exactly what Baldur's Gate 3 is. It's, 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 it's basically taking as much as it possibly can of the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rule set, which I, I like a lot. Uh, I did not like the 4th edition very, at all, to be honest. Like, there was nothing about it that I liked. Uh, it, I, I, I will, the only thing I'll say is that I think it maybe streamlines some aspects of the game a little too much, but that's what homebrewing is for. That, and if you don't know what homebrewing is, that's, well, I don't like this rule exactly as it's written, or not like this exactly as it's written. So we're going to tweak things a little bit. Or I'm going to make up my own spells. Or whatever. You're making your own homebrew. You're going crazy. You're, you're taking the foundation of what is already a fun game. And you're putting your own little personal touch on it. So that is that is in essence what Baldur's Gate 3 is. Out of the box. You are have access to a wide range of character classes and subclasses. Uh, you know, if you want to make a, a deep gnome gloom stalker. Or a drow elf. Uh, Warlock, Sorcerer, a.k.a. Sorlock. Uh, they have multi-classing. They have subclassing. They have feats. They have over 600 spells on launch. Like, the game is massive. It's, it's a 122 gigabyte... It takes up 122 gigs on the hard drive after, after install. Uh, it actually drops Thursday, uh, I want to say, 8 o'clock Pacific time, uh, for PC, yeah, you can't, you cannot preload it. You cannot, you cannot preload it. it. You have to, it drops out. It, so it's going to break steam. It's going to break GOG, just like cyberpunk 2077. Same thing with, same thing with PlayStation. Uh, it might happen with PlayStation. I don't know if it releases at the same time on PlayStation. It might not release until the actual weekend for PS5. Uh, and it will be available on Mac, but it hasn't, it won't be available this weekend. They haven't given an exact Mac release date yet. So if you're one of those Mac gamers, because you're a hardcore Mac lover, you got to wait. But it'll now, work. 
But now right. Xbox is the one that everybody's been talking now, about. Now that because... I don't think it's going to happen for I think licensing reasons. Same way Starfield is only going to work on Xbox and not PlayStation Four, at least probably for the first few months. Now on well now, the reaction. Well, the actual reason why is as stated by the developers is because split split screen co op, which is a feature in Baldur's Gate Three, which is going to be unique for PlayStation Five. PC owners and the like, and even Mac when it comes to the Mac. Yeah, it has to be the same for the experience itself for not only users of Xbox Series X, but the S, the cheaper version of this current uh, this current generation of video games, which I have. I have an S. I do not have the X. So there's a mandate by Xbox that states you have to have every single feature for the X that you do the S and vice versa. And until you're able to go ahead and maximize it out for both those systems, you can't, they, they can't release the game. So it looks like it's not going to be until early next year for Xbox owners at the time, but they will get eventually their shot at Baldur's Gate. Everybody, everybody eventually releases on everything. Everybody gets everything eventually. That's the law of, that's the law of capitalism and economics. And that's so fine. why are you looking so forward to it? Um, well, so early You've been access. Talking to me for a month about doing this interview. So I know, why are you more than that? I started. I started playing this last year during or in 2020 during COVID. So when COVID shutdown happened, obviously everybody got bored. Uh, and then lo, on my Steam banner or on my GOG banner, I can't remember which one. I, I have it on GOG, so likely it was on GOG. Um, there it was, Baldur's Gate Three early access, and I was like. I love Baldur's Gate. I love Baldur's Gate 1. I love Baldur's Gate 2. I actually loved Icewind Dale and Icewind Dale 2 and Neverwinter Nights. And, and Temple of Elemental Evil was about where I was like, I don't know, the, the, the gameplay is getting a little chunky. It's, it's it's very true to the rule set, but like it's not as fun to play. Like It just wasn't as smooth an experience. And I kind of I kind of dropped off there. Then I was like, early access, 60 bucks. What else am I doing with my time right now? I have a, I have a, I have a Mac that can play it. It's available on Mac. It's a Mac I used to do like music editing stuff. So it's, you know, it's a decent computer, not the best graphics processor, but one that could handle the game. So I tried it out and I was, I mean, everybody, you can tell, just, all right, I'm just going to preface it by you start captive. You, you start as a captive on a mind flayer nautiloid and you escape the nautiloid and then you adventure. <laughs> trying to find out why this tadpole in your head is giving you psionic powers and headaches and allowing you to communicate with various people uh, in the realm. And mm -hmm. that's that's how the game starts. That's all of early access. Is Getting off the nautiloid is kind of like a tutorial, but it's an awesome tutorial. And then you're wandering around the wilds surrounding Baldur's Gate, you know, finding various, you know, saving druids if you want, or sabotaging druids. Right away, there's like, a high degree of morality to the game where like, do you want to align with the goblin fort and sort of wipe out the Druid Grove? Do you want to align with the dark Druids in the Druid Grove and shut everybody out? Or do you want to align with the Druids and save the Grove and probably end up destroying the goblins in the goblin fort? Although, you know, that's not a prerequisite. You can let everyone live and be kind of a pacifist. And so that in and of itself, and the fact that the way the game plays is like a combination of Skyrim and XCOM and that you move through the world like you would through Skyrim, uh, Elder Scrolls. It's it's like if you do, uh, if you or Fallout, the Fallout 3 or 4 where you pull back the camera and it's not a first-person shooter view. It's a, it's a third-person kind of view where you're behind your character and you can move the camera around and stuff. Uh, but when combat starts, it hits initiative. And so then you have plenty of time to think about what you want to do, and as you level up, you might you might need a lot of time to like sit there and be like, okay, do I want to do I want to cast a spell? Do I want to do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And so, what I loved about it was its its faithfulness to the rule set. Like I said, I enjoy the D and D fifth edition rule set. It kind of brings it back to three point five a little bit with the skills and the 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 feats and things like that. And it just doesn't make every character like a weird superhero in a fantasy world. Uh, but it doesn't get rid of the weird superhero in a fantasy world elements in fourth edition that were kind of cool where like if you could make an argument that in, this is, we're going way in the weeds in D and D on D and D stuff here. So if you're not a D and D nerd, you know, maybe skip ahead like five minutes, two minutes, but 
what I liked about 3.5 was how in-depth it went with some of the minutiae. Granted, that can slow the game down, especially with somebody who's a rules debater. Somebody who's like, well, I'd like to debate this rule that you're trying to implement. Or I'd like to debate the interpretation of the spell or whatever. And 4th edition was like, we're getting rid of all of that. We're making the game super simple, almost like a video game. And it was too simple. It was too watered down. And everybody, if you were a fighter, you had like a few different fighter powers to choose from. And, and that's basically what you did. And there wasn't as much flavor, I thought. I th- what I like about 5th edition, it brings a little flavor back, but it still keeps that you're like this epic hero kind of element to it with like the feats and some of the abilities you get as you level up in the game. So that's what I, I mean, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I like, and at the time, the only way to play Dungeons and Dragons during COVID was over Roll20 or Zoom, or, you know, some other VTT, uh, you know, I, I like Roll20, so I use Roll20, but a lot of people don't like Roll20. That's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, but it's limited. You know, it's not the same feel of sitting around your table with your buddies, hanging out, rolling dice. And this game with its multiplayer, I, I have, you know, two of my oldest friends from high school, we each, we, you know, we're going to have a Baldur's Gate campaign. We're gonna we're gonna take we're we're gonna each have a guy. We're gonna multiplayer. You're gonna have to four people in your party. Uh, although I think there are modders out there that have figured out in early access. I'm sure it'll take them a lot longer to mod the actual game. But there are mm-hmm. modders out there who have added. A, you can have six parties, six party members, uh, which actually feels a little unfair based on the encounters uh, as they're currently constructed. Uh, mm-hmm. Although they do have uh, a difficulty level slider that is supposed to make the game nigh impossible to get through. Uh, but as they and one of the, but as they've gone through early access, they keep upgrading the game, and all we've ever had access to is an incomplete version up to this point, an incomplete version of Chapter One, which in and of itself is a very satisfying game. It doesn't end, but like when you play it, you like having these really fun battles, or you're discovering these really interesting facts, or finding these really interesting people who are you know these NPCs and various characters in, in the area that you explore. They're just mm-hmm. kind of interesting. And the choices and dilemmas you encounter are, are very interesting. And so, like, that aspect of the game I find very enjoyable personally. And, again, I'm a huge D&D fan, role-playing game and general fan, uh, but D&D number one. And I, it, it just it – just, it's, it's like playing D&D. And, mm-hmm. But it's, there's no DM. There's nobody to argue with. <laughs> you just got to play, and you just got to do your best. And if there's that guy in your party who, like, you know, who you play with, who's like, I, I move ahead of the group, like, 100 yards. And everybody's like, wait, where are you going? And he's like, oh, well, now you're now you're fighting a giant, a horde of giants alone. That can be replicated here. You can, you know, some people can be standing around reading something. Some of us can just start walking away. The, the game, the map is huge. Uh, there's a lot of verticality to the map, which adds a lot of fun. Uh, that doesn't really come across in a tabletop edition of D&D as well. Uh, and Larian has just done, you know, they've done, they produce some really great games over the year. If you're a fan of Divinity Original Sin, uh, you might even get kind of an early, I hadn't ever played that game until I played Baldur's Gate 3, and I went back and played a little bit of Divinity Original Sin. I haven't finished that game, which I, I, I ought to at some point, but right away I was like, oh, there's very similar elements to between the two games. Uh, both in terms of humor, but also the way the game is designed and like your your interaction with the world around you, like how you discover things and they're like, oh, there's like a, a weird hole here. I can dig up a chest. That's interesting, you know. So it's 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 just a super a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and it, like I said, the game in early access was already quite satisfying. Uh, you go into the underdark. You go, you know, you, you, there's it's it's D and D, and we're and you end up. Uh, it looks like you end up, you know, trying to save or destroy or just kind of get by in Baldur's Gate, the city itself. Yeah. Um, which, if you're a fan of the actual like Dungeons and Dragon lore and you've read Dungeons and Dragons books like the R.A. Salvatore, Dritz Dorden series, or you know anything with Elminster or any of those guys, or anything Forgotten Realmsy, you're going to recognize a lot of these landmarks and a lot of these characters. You know, Volo's in the game and he's hilarious. You know, there's all these cool things about the game that I have just, as a D&D fan and a fan of, like, fantasy in general, have just already, in early access, gotten a tremendous amount of fun with. And I've, you know, I've put well over 300 hours into the early access part of the game, just messing with combinations of characters. And there's not even multi-classing yet. 
once again, it is Baldur's Gate 3. It is coming out this weekend, coming out of public access into the world as far as a regular game, coming out for PC, coming out for PS5, to the Mac, and the Xbox Series X and S. Jamie, it's been great to have you here. You've been wanting to talk Baldur's Gate 3. I'm glad you got a chance to do so. Again, please stop by when you have an update on that or anything else you want to talk about in the world of pop culture. You're always welcome, my friend. Thank you. You know, I don't know much about wrestling or uh, and a lot of other games. Like, you know, I don't. I, I pick and choose my games wisely. I tend to play kind of boring games, uh, you know, like world-building games, mm-hmm. games where you kind of just leisurely click and can relax your brain a little bit as opposed to like games where, like, my God, I'm in the middle of the war. And like that, that's a little much for me at times. For me, this is kind of a perfect blend of those two because like you can explore the world and then when combat hits, it's initiative. And like you think about your turn, and the next guy goes, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll see if we ever get to play together. We'll see indeed. But I would love the opportunity to do so. It is Jamie Sweet. You can catch his regular work at Lakerholics.com under the Five Things articles. Tremendous. And, of course, everything that he does for us, the Lakers fast break, whether he stops by for one of our post games, stops by for one of our regular conversations, or he hosts Lakerholics Spotlight. Hopefully we'll get a chance to go ahead and see that this weekend as well. So, Jamie, appreciate so. all your time. Looking forward to seeing what happens with Baldur's Gate 3 to see if it gets the kind of love from gamers that you have for it. Looking forward to hearing what's going on with the game coming up very soon right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip, or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Thought I'd bring up a couple more subjects that we've been really wanting to talk in more detail because of all the decisions that have been made and the upfronts in recent days for both of these channels or aka streaming networks. So thought I'd get the man who knows so much about pop culture to go ahead and share his thoughts as well. You got to go ahead and check it out and out anytime or check him out anytime he's here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is my good friend, Mr. TJ Johnson, on the road again. TJ, how you doing? I'm always good, Double G. It's always a pleasure being on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Absolutely, absolutely indeed, my friend. Uh, a couple things I wanted to go ahead and run by you and, and hear your thoughts on. Uh, with the upfronts recently in regards to networks and streaming outlets, uh, displaying their wares for the upcoming season, trying to ig- almost ignore the fact that there's a writer strike going on instead of trying to <laughs> rectify that you know, as fast as possible. Instead, they want to go ahead and try and put everything out there that they can, including a lot of live stuff, including a lot of stuff that's reality TV and whatnot. I feel like it's a flashback to 2007, 2008 once All again. All over again. All over again, for better or for worse. I do want to go <laughs> ahead and ask, though, there is a, a new reformed channel, the Max channel, that is coming out uh, on the 23rd. And I just wanted to go ahead and ask you, you know, with with all the changes and, and uh, the things that HBO Max has done over the past couple of years, I really thought creatively they were really at a high with all the uh, a number of great shows and movies that were hitting that channel. But unfortunately, the finances dictated much otherwise when it was revealed that they were hemorrhaging a lot of money with the HBO Max concept. Flash forward a couple years later, they've now combined with Discovery Plus to create a all-new thing called Max. So you tell me your thoughts on, on what Max is to you and what you think it'll be like for their future. You know, John, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure what to expect from Max. I mean, obviously, with the brand and HBO and the name, you know, the, the, the name HBO, we had an idea. We had an idea of serialized content uh, that was gripping, serialized content that was intense. Um, 
that would be riveting television, um, movies, uh, some stuff that was provocative. I'm not really sure what to, to think of with Max. Um, obviously, Discovery and Discovery Plus was was much more family-friendly, family-orientated, and geared more towards just a different audience. So it's, it's actually, I don't want to say jarring or surprising, um, but I didn't expect that merger to happen, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't expect that when it did. Uh, and when it was announced, it was like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming, but all right. Uh, I have to imagine, though, that the, 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 the flagship shows for HBO, or I guess soon to be now Max, you know, the Game of Thrones, the, uh, the Last of Us, the shows that people are still tuning in to watch, um, they're not going to go anywhere. Uh, so I, I don't anticipate a huge change in that regard. I think from a marketing standpoint, they're going to have to figure out very early who they are and what they want to do, um, what they want to cater their 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 menu to towards. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how they're going to do it because again, you're you're looking at two different ends of the spectrum. Discovery was a much more family friendly, family orientated, you know, network, if you will. HBO is much more uh, not family orientated. <laughs> Granted, they had the Looney Tunes and they had those channels to HBO Max, which is which was fine. They had Looney Tunes and DC slate of of superhero shows, movies, cartoons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see exactly how they they market this and who this is who this is marketed towards. I think that's going to be the real key: seeing who this is actually geared towards. If it's geared towards those fans, or if it's geared towards Maybe finding a way to have a, a, a mix of both. I'm not really sure. Uh, I know, for me personally, as long as I've got access to my, my library of DC animated stuff, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Just, just don't, don't mess with my DC animated. Don't mess with my The Last of Us. And definitely don't mess with my Game of Thrones. Obviously, Westworld went the way Westworld went. And I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Uh, but just don't have that happen to Game of Thrones. So we're good. Well, when it comes to Max, and you you said you're good, but the thing is, you know, there's going to be a little bit that's changing with it. Yeah. And, of course, we'll see the same thing with Disney when we uh, we talk about that with Disney Plus mm-hmm. at Hulu later on. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But when it comes to what we're going to see with Max, I, I, I'm, I'm curious as to what we're going to see because, again, they – last year late last year pulled a lot of their programming yes, off the table and also did not ever or shelved i should say or don't plan to ever release bad girl in in any point in time which is also very disappointing because yes. you know depending on who you talk to is going to be really good or was not going to be really good so you know the fact that we won't be able to go ahead and see it is probably going to be a, a little bit disappointing to fans out there of the DC universe and and things of that nature. But I wanted to ask you when it comes to the things you might see on Max outside of the Lord of the Rings, like you talked about with The Last of Us, the stuff that they have, the Game of Thrones stuff that they have, as far as that there, they they seem to have this large library of good content, adult oriented content which I thought was clicking with an audience, but mm-hmm. apparently not to the point where it was actually generating any money. Well, you know, it, it, I, I have to imagine how difficult it is to generate money in this, in, in the streaming business. And, and what I mean by that is obviously Netflix was the one that kind of really kicked it all off and the whole password sharing and ensuring that, you know, there are multiple people that are utilizing the same account. Those are all things that are still going to be issues. Um, moving forward obviously netflix is doing what they can to address them i'm sure disney um max and other streaming services will ultimately look at doing the same thing i think the only one that may not do something like that is amazon prime because it's prime and everybody shares prime as it is anyway so they kind of just almost seem to accept it as a loss uh so i think it's going to be difficult for them to, to make money as is and we can think a show is successful and the viewership could think a show is successful but if the it's not generating the revenue that it needs to generate as far as bringing more viewers in, bringing more subscriptions in, then it's really not going to ultimately prove to be beneficial for the company to keep moving forward with it. Now, you have huge shows like The Last of Us, as we discussed, and, and Game of Thrones that they're, they're, those are, those are, are, are flags, are tentpole 
shows are never going to go away. Um, but as far as some of the other content that, again, is surprisingly cut, you mentioned Batgirl earlier. I know there was a Scooby-Doo that got cut. I want to say Scooby-Doo yep. Haunt or something like that. Something to that effect. Um, that apparently they were not as confident in. Um, while you hate to see that from a, a fan standpoint, because, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to be interested to see what happened with Batgirl. Obviously, that was going to be the return of Michael Keaton's Batman. And uh, there were other things that were that were going to be visited with that. That was probably going to lead more into Flashpoint that's going to be coming up here soon. You're disappointed to see those things go. And I just don't want them to start continuing that this trend of getting rid of content and not really having a replacement or a way to still get said content uh, to the consumers that have paid subscriptions to be able to see that kind of stuff on a demand basis, so to speak. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's very going to be very interesting how this plays out. It's going to be something where I think a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on it because as people then you know decide whether or not they want to commit long term to more streaming networks or to streaming networks we're going to see how that's you know going to be developing over the next next years and months and coming up because the fact is that the streaming wars have had some attrition now we we you know the 2020 days where everything was uh, all about streaming those days, I don't want to say they're coming to an end, but they're changing to say the least. These streaming outlets are talking about cutting back on programming, cutting back on new shows or movies or content coming to the these the streaming outlets. Yet they're talking about bundling and they're talking about increasing the price, which is making it harder and harder for the consumer out there to go ahead and say, you know what, I want to commit to more of these streaming outlets. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we used to before think that it was a big deal to cut the cable, right? And that was the whole point mm-hmm. of these streaming outlets to be able to offer you on-demand content, the content that you want. You're paying for what you want to see as opposed to paying for a bunch of channels that you're never going to use. And it was supposed to be cost efficient. It was supposed to make your 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 cable bill much, much more manageable. When in fact, I think it's kind of started to do the opposite. I think uh, it's starting to, to creep up because if you're already paying for top tiered internet, you, know, you have to be paying a a certain amount for a certain amount of, of bandwidth and you want to be able to stream, you know, multiple shows in a household. Everybody doesn't want to watch the same thing, so on and so forth. And then you're going to have multiple services. Now, granted, a lot of those services are bundled with other things that we use daily. I know my my uh, Netflix is bundled with my T-Mobile, my cell phone. So it, it kind of makes it a little bit easier to, to, to on the palette to have a Netflix account. Um, having Disney Plus along with Hulu and ESPN makes it a little bit easier to to have that as opposed to just buying Disney or or just buying each one of them individually and seeing that bill become incrementally larger. Uh, so I think what's going to really be the deciding factor is, you know, as you said, there has been a lot of attrition. There has been a lot of the opposite direction. And now with them cutting this content, that's really going to help decide who wants to keep what kind of packages and what kind of bundles and and who wants to continue to support some of these streaming services. I know that there have been some that I've cut off. Uh, we just recently finished watching, uh, or we're waiting to finish watching uh, Power on Stars. And I can assure you, once Power is done, then I'll be cutting off Stars as well, because there's just no need to continue to, to maintain it that I, I know I'm not going to watch it. So uh, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. And it's, it's really going to be based on your taste. And again, with with Max now, it's really going to be more who they want to be and who they want to cater to. Um, obviously, Disney has kind of found their niche being more family orientated, sometimes venturing off into some adult territory, if you will. Um, but they've become much more, you know, they, they have their niches, Disney. Um, same thing with kind of Netflix, their uh, streaming service. Yeah, I, and I, can, I get that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be up to, yo, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's going to be up to Max to kind of decide who they want to be. Um, and then us as consumers to decide if we want to buy into that. Um, so I, I think that's that's where my biggest concern is, is, is figuring out who they are and, and then deciding, okay, was that something I want to keep riding with or do I just want to subscribe when Game of Thrones or The Last of Us or a show of that nature comes back? Do I want to take a backseat to it until it comes on? So we'll see. Thanks so much for joining us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Tune in twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course on radio stations worldwide. It's the best of pop culture you can get right here at the Pop Culture 
cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. It's another beautiful day of paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.